0: The title of the message today is The New You. Well, you know, makeovers have kind of become the 21st century answer to a new and better life for many people. Uh, Really, I think the makeover craze heyday was probably about 10 years ago maybe when uh, reality TV was just captivated with all these makeover shows. Yet, yet, makeovers have not lost their appeal. If you just do a local Google search on makeovers, you can find a number of makeover salons in this area that promise a new and better you. There are parenting makeovers, fashion makeovers, facial makeovers, countless weight loss ads that all still promise to be the key to a fuller and happier life. And while makeovers typically change something about our outward appearance or maybe our circumstances in some way, if you think about it, that's really not what their true purpose is. See, the real purpose of a makeover is much deeper than just outward appearance. Makeovers are really about how we feel, how we think, what we say and do. Makeovers are really about our confidence in who we are. See, the real goal of a personal makeover is to change how you live and relate to the world around you. And I think the Apostle Peter understood this idea. And in our passage today in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 12, Peter is really talking to these believers about a makeover. But this makeover is really the makeover of all makeovers. It is the ultimate makeover, if you will. It's the makeover that God does in our lives when we trust in Jesus Christ and make him our Lord and Savior. It's the makeover that comes from our being united with or joined with Jesus in his new resurrection life. And this makeover, it doesn't change our outward appearance or in many cases even our circumstances, but it radically remakes everything about us and who we are from the inside out. And it redefines who we are and our meaning and purpose in this life. And you see, Peter knows that if we really get this, that it'll change how we think and how we live. And so Peter wants us to see in this text that if we belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have been remade with a new identity and a new purpose in this world. And that's really the big idea I think Peter's getting at in this passage, that we have been remade with a new identity and a new purpose in this world. And I think there are three things in this passage that we want to look at this morning that help define how God has remade us and our purpose in this world. So before we dig into this text, let's take a moment and pray. Lord, I ask that your grace would be with us today and meet us in this time. Lord, I pray that it would meet me and help me to speak clearly and concisely and faithfully to your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would do far more than I can do through my words. That my words would be your words and you would send the power of your spirit amongst us today and speak these truths to our hearts and our souls in a way that I can never do. So I ask that you would fill this place now and speak to us through your word and through the power of your spirit, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So three things we want to look at. The first one we want to look at in this text is that we are God's new temple. Let's look at verses 4 through 8 in this section. Peter says, As you come to him, him being Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So in verses 4 and 5, Peter says, As you come to Jesus in a living relationship with him, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And this term spiritual house, it's really the word for temple. See, God is building a new temple through the saving work of Jesus. And this temple is, it's not like the old temple made of physical stones and mortar. This temple is made of people. It's being built with living stones. And Jesus Christ is the foundation and cornerstone for this new temple. See, it's through placing your faith and trust in Christ that you get to be a part of this new temple. And in verses 6 through 8, Peter really quotes from three different Old Testament passages to show that this has always been God's plan. See God promised that he would build a new spiritual temple that would be built on a precious chosen cornerstone one day. And if you're not familiar with this idea of a cornerstone, a cornerstone is when you when you're building a building, the first stone you start with that you lay in a corner of that building is called the cornerstone. And everything else in that building is constructed in a way to be measured out and ordered around that one stone. And so all the dimensions and everything that's built in that building is appropriately to be said, built on that cornerstone. And so Peter tells us in verse 4 that this chosen precious cornerstone is Jesus Christ. And while he was rejected by men and crucified, His resurrection from the dead shows that he was chosen by God and precious to him. And see, what you do with Jesus Christ will determine whether you have a a place in this spiritual house God is building. That's why verse 7 says, the honor of being a part of this new temple is for those who believe but for those who do not believe who do not believe for those who reject Christ as their lord and savior verse 8 says that Jesus becomes a stone that they stumble over that causes them to fall and be broken see they those who stumble over Jesus Christ stumble because they disobey God's word peter says in other words, they don't believe God's word concerning who Jesus is and what he did. See, here's what we need to understand about this gospel message, this, this message that God sent his son into this world to become a human being and that he might live a perfect life for us that he could earn a righteousness that he could then give to us and that he might give his life to die on a cross, to take our place, to take our sins upon himself and bear them and bear the judgment that God would have poured out on us, that he would take that in our place, that God might forgive us. That by faith and trust in him, we could get his righteousness and be forgiven for our sins. And his resurrection proves that he was who he said he was and did what he came to do. But See, here's the thing. That message, you would never get it you would never understand it. You would never see it. If you were walking throughout life with Jesus every day of his life, you would not understand what he was doing. That's why the disciples, they didn't get it. It wasn't until after the resurrection that they really understood what was going on. If you were standing there at the cross when Jesus was being crucified, you wouldn't have said, oh, I understand what's going on. He's hanging there dying for my sins. This is God's son sent to save me. You would not have gotten it. The only way that we understand this gospel message is God has to explain it to us. He has to reveal to us. He has to tell us what's going on. And he does so in His word through the spirit-inspired words of the apostles, through the words of Jesus himself. And so to reject Jesus as your Lord and Savior is to disbelieve what God says. It's to disobey God's word. Because throughout scripture, God is testifying of who Jesus is and what he did. Peter himself in Acts 4, 10 through 12, as we see him explaining how he was able to heal a man who was lame from birth to the authorities, says this in Acts 4, 10 through 12. says, let it be known to all of you By which we must be saved. God is testifying regularly in his word about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so to reject Jesus is to disbelieve or disobey God's word. And so here's the thing, every one of us can find ourselves here in verses six through eight. We're either among those who believe or we're among those who stumble over Jesus because we reject him and we don't believe God's testimony about him. So where do you find yourself in these verses? Which of those two camps are you in? And if you're in the one who has never believed that Jesus was a savior who came to save you, God is still testifying to you about this gospel message. He's still inviting you to come and put your faith and your trust in Jesus as the only way that you have a chance to be reconciled to God and made part of his eternal kingdom. So if you've never done that. God is inviting you today. Don't let another day go by without considering his testimony to you about his son. But for those who believe, Peter says, as you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You're being built together with other believers to be a temple where the very presence of God himself dwells. The Apostle Paul describes it in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. He says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, this, this this is a holy thing. It is not something to take lightly. The temple is the center of God's presence and activity here on earth. It's where His glory is on display. The temple is where people encounter His presence. To be part of this temple made of living stones is really the highest privilege and honor in the universe. That's why Peter says the honor is for you who believe. And being a part of this new temple through being united with Jesus in his resurrection life literally redefines who we are and why we are here. And that brings us to the second thing I want to look at in this text, and that is we have a new identity. Let's look at verses 9 and 10. Peter says, but you are a chosen race So Peter begins verse 9 with these words. He says, but you are. Not you do, not you want to be, not you hope to be, not you may become, but you are. This is who you are. See, this, these verses, are, these two verses are just filled with identity themes and words that define who you are as a believer in Christ. And while these words are written here in a corporate context, speaking to the corporate body of believers, in order for these things to be true corporately, they must by definition be true individually about us as believers as well. So let's see if we can unpack some of them a little bit. He begins in verse 9 by saying, you are a chosen race. See, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's because God chose you to be His. He chose to set His love on you purely because He chose to do so of His own sovereign will. In Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul in this early part of chapter 1 really talks about many of the same themes that Peter's talking about here. But in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, Paul says this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Paul says, before the world was ever made, God looked upon you and chose you to be his Now, I I covered what it means to be chosen or elect in a lot more detail in really the first message we did on this letter, the one called Elect Exile. So if you want to look at that in more detail, I'd refer you back to that message to to really get the the more depth in that area, what, what it means to be chosen or elect. But what I want to say here is that God intentionally and purposely chose you to belong to him. And the, if you think about it, the honor in being chosen for something is really based on two things. One, the significance or importance of the one doing the choosing, and then secondly, the significance of what you are chosen for. So, for example, it is an honor to be chosen by your peers in your high school class to represent them on your student council, right? That's an honor. But it is a very different honor to be chosen by, say, the President of the United States to represent him as his chief of staff. That's a very different level of honor because the person doing the choosing and what you're being chosen for is significantly different between those two examples. And see, here's the thing. You have been chosen by the infinitely significant and glorious creator and king of all things. There there is no more important being in existence than God. And you have been chosen to be part of his eternal family. And there is nothing that defines your life and who you are that could ever be more significant and meaningful than that. And because God chose you to be His, verse 9 says, there came a point in time where God acted on that and called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see, as a believer... Darkness and the things of darkness, they're no longer to define and characterize your life because you belong to God as one of his chosen ones. The second thing Peter tells us about our identity in verse 9, he says in verse 9 that we are a people for his own possession. And really, when Peter says this, he's quoting from a passage in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, where God says to the people of Israel, he says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And so Peter takes these words that God spoke to Israel and he says, this is true about you as a believer in Jesus. And what really strikes me about that Deuteronomy verse is Peter is saying that you are God's treasured possession. Now, what is a treasured possession? Think about it. Well, a treasured possession is, it's the thing that is most valuable to you. It's the thing that is most precious to you. It's the thing that you guard the most, that you protect the most, that you do everything possible to make sure that it's kept safe and secure, right? It's how you treat a treasured possession. And you know, how can you tell just how valuable a treasured possession is to someone. One way you can tell is by the price they are willing to pay to purchase it and secure it as their own, right? I mean, I was struck recently. I noticed a headline where it talked about there was this Andy Warhol painting of Marilyn Monroe that was sold at auction for $195 million dollars. And I thought, wow, for somebody, that's a treasured possession. That they would pay that price for that painting says something about how precious that is to them. And you are God's treasured possession. And the price that God paid to secure you, to purchase you, is infinitely greater than that. God gave the greatest price that could ever be paid to purchase you for himself. He gave his own son the thing that he loved the most, that he delighted in for all eternity. He gave him to suffer and die for you so that you could be his. I mean, if you're a parent, just... Think about that for a second. What would it take for you to give your child to suffer the way Jesus did, to die the way he did, and and beyond what we could even imagine, to bear the wrath of God for the sins of millions of people in the world? What would it take for you to give that price to purchase something? That's what God paid to make you his. And out of all the things in this creation, you are God's most valued and treasured possession. But for God to make you his treasured possession, there was something else he had to do first. And Peter tells us in verse 9, he had to make you holy. Verse 9 says, you are a holy nation. And what does it mean to be holy? Well, to be holy means you've been set apart to God and his purposes. You've been consecrated to him and for him. You know, if we read back in the Old Testament and the way... The, uh, the law called the Israelites to relate to things in the world. There were really two categories. There are other ways we could look at this. But there, there were two categories of things in this universe. There was the common and the holy. And common wasn't bad. It was just everything that was natural. You know, uh, the, this room, this building, everything is common. And that wasn't a bad thing. It was just natural. But holy... For something to be holy, only God could make something holy. And to be holy was to be special and highly valued and honored. Only the holy things could be in God's presence and draw near to Him. And God has made you holy through the saving work of Jesus, so you could belong to Him as His treasured possession. You aren't trying to become holy. God's already made you holy. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And Paul isn't saying that he chose you and now he wants you to do this. Paul is saying he chose you and the purpose was that he would make you holy and blameless. Before Him. See, God has made you holy. And who we are is to shape and define how we live. And because you are holy, this has implications for how you're to live in this world. That's why Peter said in chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he said, But as He who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, life flows out of identity. Knowing who you are is to shape how you live. And you are to continually pursue growing and living out your life in a way that reflects the holiness of who you are. But there's one more thing Peter says in this verse 9 about who we are. He says, you are a royal priesthood. Well, what does it mean to be royal? Well, it means you're a part of the king's family, right? Isn't that what it means to be royal? To be royal was the highest honor in the kingdom, right? I mean, we, we you know, we hear a lot about the British royals, right? Prince, Henry, uh, Prince William you know, and all the other folks. And all the attention they get and all the clamor about them and all the honor and prestige that kind of people give them. Well, you're part of a far higher royal family than that. You are part of God's royal family. Paul, again, in Ephesians 1, tells us this in Verses 4 and 5, he says, In love, he predestined us to adoption for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. See, this is really what it means to be a child of God. You've, You've been made a member of the king's own family as his beloved child. And this is not just any king. This is the king. This is the sovereign Lord and king of all the universe. This is the king of all kings. This is the one who Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. He describes him this way. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That's the king's family that you belong to. You know, no matter how you thought about yourself before. And you know, as I've talked to many people over the years of being a pastor, one of the things that I've talked to people about frequently is how they think and feel about themselves and their identity. And I know a lot of people, when you think about yourself deep down inside, there's a list of words that come to mind that are negative identity words. Words like broken, failure, loser, rejected, unlovable. And I could go on and on. And those words kind of reveal that down inside, you ha- your identity is kind of a shame-based identity that's, that you've, you've picked up somewhere in life. That something has taught you that that's who you are. I could not have better news for you than what this passage says to you today because no matter what words may come to your mind when you think about yourself, the minute you genuinely put your faith in Jesus Christ, everything changed. Verse six says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And regardless of what you may think or feel about yourself, if you're a believer, these words in verse 9 are the true reality of who you are now. You are God's chosen. You are His treasured possession. You are holy and you are royal. And God has done this in your life purely by His sovereign power. And we might ask the question, why has God done this for you? And that's a great question to ponder. Why has God done this for me? Well, I think we have the answer in this passage in verse 10. In verse 10, Peter says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It is purely because of God's grace and mercy to you. Paul again in Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says it this way. says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. See what Paul's saying there is why has God done this for you? It's to the praise of his glorious grace. In other words, so that the angels and all creation would look at what God did and giving mercy to you and blessing you this way and taking broken, damaged, sinful human beings like us and bringing us into this reality of being holy, chosen, God's treasured possession, part of his royal family. The universe looks at that and says, we've never seen anything like that. That is beyond anything we could ever imagine. Praise be to the incredible grace of God that would do something like that for people like us purely out of his sovereign grace and mercy. You know, sometimes when I think about this, there's a picture that comes to my mind. I, I, I think that we were like these homeless orphans that are sitting alongside the road in the mud and we had no future we had no real hope we're hoping someone will give us some scraps that we can eat to survive the next day and then one day the king drives by in his in ornate elaborate carriage and he looks out the window and he sees us sitting there and he says to the driver stop And he gets out of the carriage. And he comes over to us and he picks us up and he puts us in and takes us home. And he cleans us up and he adopts us as his own. And he puts the royal robes on us and we eat at his table. And from that time on, we get to enjoy the privilege and the prestige and the honor of being part of the family of the king. Well, That's Kind of what God has done for each of us. But you know, God has not just given us a new identity by his grace. He has also given us a new purpose for our lives in that identity. And that's the third point we want to look at in this passage today, that we have a new purpose. Let's look at verse 9 again. Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that, and the word that there, we might translate so that. In other words, here's the purpose God has in doing this, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, what God did in your life, he's about doing in the lives of other people. See, we need to understand what God is up to in this age we live in, because here's kind of the big picture. From the day that Jesus ascended into heaven until the day that he returns, In between those days, God is about the business of gathering His chosen people from every tribe, language, nation, and tongue. And the way He does that is through this message of the Gospel that's proclaimed in churches, and by you and I as individual believers in the various situations we find ourselves in. And as we do that, the Spirit of God works through that message, and God calls people out of darkness, just like He did us, into His marvelous light. And He gathers them together in communities, called churches, where using their gifts and the grace God's given their lives, they work together to build one another up in love and help one another mature in their faith. And when the last one comes in, this age will come to an end. And Jesus will return and establish his eternal kingdom for the rest of eternity. And so if we understand what God's up to in this world we live in, you understand how that relates to you. He has saved you and called you to be part of the most significant and meaningful purpose and calls in the universe. The gathering and building of his people from all nations and peoples. I mean, this is, this is the reason why God created this universe. I mean, how do we know that? Well... Here's how I think. You know, the ultimate purpose for something is seen in its end. Let me explain what I mean. Um, Let's say you're planning to go on a beach vacation this summer to the Outer Banks. And so as that time approaches, you're doing a hundred different things to get ready for that vacation. You're buying food to take, you're getting your sunscreen and you make sure your bathing suit still fits and gassing up the car and packing and all these things we do to prepare on vacation. And all of those things culminate, the purpose for all of them is what? That you get to sit on that beach enjoying the sun and the water That it's all been geared to the end for which it's all connected to. And that's the same way it is in history and and creation. And we can look at the end in in Revelation chapter 22 verses 3 and 5 and see what the purpose of all this is about. In those verses it says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. See, that's the end of the story. That's what all of this is all about and working towards. And God has called you into the ultimate purpose in this universe, proclaiming His excellencies to others. And that doesn't just mean evangelism. Don't be so narrow to think that includes evangelism. But it's every time we share with somebody about God and who he is and what he's like, what he's done in our life. It's every time we try to encourage another believer, you know, to help them, encourage them, build them up in their faith. Every time we try to serve people with acts of love and service in the name of Jesus, we are proclaiming his excellencies. And as you do so, God works through you and the gospel to gather his chosen ones and build them up in their faith. That's your purpose in this world. You know, there are two places in this passage where God calls you a priest. Verse 5, he says, you're being built up to be a holy priesthood. And verse 9, which we looked at a minute ago, he said, you are a royal priest priesthood. What is a priest? A priest is one who acts as a mediator between God and people. See, Jesus was the ultimate mediator and priest. In Hebrews 9, 11 through 12, his priestly work is described this way. It says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. See, Jesus was the great ultimate priest and he secured an eternal redemption for those who would trust and believe in him. But priests are needed now to mediate this eternal redemption to people. Priests minister to people on behalf of God to enable them to draw near and connect with God. They help people maintain their relationship with him. And in the Old Testament, this was often through the mediating and offering of sacrifices that were required to do that. But God says you're a priest if you're a believer. Jesus has called you into this priestly work of gathering and building God's people. You too are called to offer sacrifices on behalf of others. But not animal or grain sacrifices like the Old Testament priests Verse 5 says, you've been called to be a holy priest to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Spiritual sacrifices are all these things we've been talking about. It's when you talk to people about God and who he is, when you share this gospel message, when you do acts of love and service to believers as well as unbelievers, you are acting as a priest to mediate between God and people. And here, you, know, you know the really cool thing about that verse <clears throat> is this. You know, many times... We, if not all the time. As we do that, we are far from perfect at it, aren't we? I mean, we, we, we don't do it well. We don't have the right words to say all the time. We don't, have, you know, we don't take advantage of all the opportunities. We don't serve perfectly. We don't love others perfectly. But what's really encouraging to me about this verse is it says that all those sacrifices, imperfect as they are, are made acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is cleansing all the imperfection, all the impurity, all the things that weren't done right or well or as good as they should have been. He's purifying all of that. And you know what's left? The things that God does by His grace through us that He then looks to commend and reward us for. And so let that be an encouragement to you that as you go about seeking to fulfill this calling God has on your life as a priest, as someone who's called to proclaim his excellencies, you don't have to do it perfectly because Jesus did. He did it perfectly and he cleanses all that's imperfect in our imperfect works And God is delighted to affirm those things that do do good through the grace that he gives us as we go about that. See, God has given you really a glorious eternal purpose to serve him as a priest in the gathering of his people and helping them to follow him. It's the mission Jesus has sent us on. It's why you are still here on this earth. I mean think about it. If you're God's treasured possession, wouldn't if you had a treasured possession, wouldn't you want it to be with you? Well, the reason you're still here is because God has a purpose for you in this life. Because if he didn't, he would rather take you up to be with him, right? You are a part of God's glorious purpose in this universe to have a people for his own possession who will dwell with him and worship him forever as the new humanity and the new creation that Jesus will one day bring to fulfillment. So here's what I want, to, want you to get Are you significant? Do you have a meaningful purpose? I mean, what could be more meaningful and significant than that? Nothing compares with that in this world. If I could have the worship team come and join me. So as Peter concludes this passage, he says in verses 11 and 12, live like who you are and why you're here. See, this is what it means to be an elect exile in this world. You've been chosen by God who has made you into a new creation. You have been remade and given a new identity and a new purpose in this world. And we need to see and know that. And we need to know who we are and why we're here. But you know, it won't always be an easy way to go. It wasn't for Jesus. You won't always fit in if you live like this. Verses 11 and 12 tell us that. You'll experience rejection at times. You'll be mocked and maligned at times. You'll be insulted and ignored at times. And So what could possibly make someone want to walk that road as a disciple of Jesus? Well, I think there's only one answer that makes sense. And that's they've encountered a power that is far greater than all those things. The power of the living God. A power so great it has remade you into a new creation. A power that promises to be with you and be what you need as you live out your purpose as a disciple of Jesus in whatever way he may call you to do that. And he makes your spiritual sacrifices acceptable and pleasing to God no matter how imperfect they may seem. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He cannot and will not fail you. And he has promised to be with you and keep you to the very end of the age. And he will bring you safely home to be a part of his royal family in his eternal kingdom. And he will reward you greatly on that day for your faithfulness in living out who you are and why you're here in this life. You see, these truths are to shape how you live out life. You've been remade and given a new identity and a new purpose. You've been called to the most glorious calling and purpose there could ever be in this world, to be a holy priest, to proclaim God's excellencies to his people and to a dying world. And there is no higher purpose and calling in this life than that. So let's close by standing and declaring some of these truths as we sing this song.